Today we look for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the 20th chapter of Exodus. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male, or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks to you, O God. And so, this week, I had a discussion sermon with the congregations, which is difficult to capture in a podcast without getting consent of those gathered to put them on recording. But I will try and summarize for you what we discussed. The first thing I asked in both congregations is, what do we call this that I read? And with little prompting, was able to get out the words, the Ten Commandments. It's what we call them. If you read through it, the numbering system isn't exactly obvious, but we refer to it as the Ten Commandments. <coughs> I then asked, who gave them the Ten Commandments? And that took a bit more prompting, but we got to that it was God who gave them the Ten Commandments through Moses. Hence, the beginning, God spoke all of these words. And the question was, <coughs> where were the people at this point in time? What is happening in the story? The people are at the base of Mount Sinai. And as the Lord begins by telling them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, <coughs> out of the house of slavery. They have just been set free from Egypt. But now they are set out into a land where there are not Pharaoh's rules that must be followed. 
And so the law that they are given becomes more than just a bit of piety to be followed. It has a civil use. These are the rules of the community that they are entering. And I won't get into how the laws have been used throughout time by people of Jewish faith. Uh, We will let them speak for themselves. And I will tell you that as people of Christian faith, we confess that very quickly the people began breaking these laws. The covenant was, here are the laws you will follow. You will be my people and I will be your God. It's very similar to every congregation I lead has a constitution. These are the rules. These are how we will behave as a gathered people. And you promise to live by them, to follow these rules, and the congregation follows to respect uh, your rights by these rules. And yet, the people broke them. And we confess that Jesus was born, lived, died, resurrected, to assure them that even though the people broke their side of it, God did not break God's covenant. God will still be their God, the people to which we are adopted through Christ. The question then becomes if its use was a civil use. These are the rules that you will follow as part of the covenant. And we say that God promises to hold up his side of the covenant regardless of what we do. What do we do with that? How do we, as followers of Christ, use the law if we also proclaim that you will be forgiven and God will keep God's covenant? That required a little bit more prompting and discussion. Uh, No direct answers. We had one uh, child uh, in the second congregation I was in Uh, brought up the temptations that Jesus found in the wilderness uh, could be used to to resist the temptation, which isn't what theological history would say the, the body of Christ has come to as a declaration of how we use the law, but that that ability to show us that we need the one who resisted the temptation, is. Some call it the evangelical use of the law. Some call it the mirror. It is to see the law, to see these things that sound so obviously good. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. To see them held up to us in the ways that we all break them. We don't live up to God's command. To see ourselves for who we are as people in need of forgiveness and understand the greatness of God's forgiveness for us, the opportunity it is. That is a way to use the law, to ask ourselves which ones of these commandments is the most difficult for me. We confess that all of them are broken every day. 
I asked that of the people in the congregation and got several answers. I will give you mine instead of theirs. I find you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor to be the one that is the most challenging to me. Not because I enjoy lying about what my neighbors do, but as a Lutheran minister, I subscribe to Martin Luther's explanation of the Eighth Commandment, which says, I shall fear and love God, not just so I don't tell untruths about my neighbor, but so that I represent my neighbor in the best possible light, even when they have hurt me even when they have done what seems to be objectively wrong and wicked things. I don't pretend as if that wasn't done, but I represent it in as positive a light as is honestly possible. Because here's the thing. Ask yourself, have you ever woken up in the morning and said, today I want to be a cartoon villain. I want to do evil and hurt people around me. No one that you meet in the world is that type of person. We all are trying to do good, even, even when we know we are doing wrong. So representing someone as anything other than that is as untrue as a blatant lie about them, and it's so difficult. When we're hurt, when we see what is just impossible to understand so how someone could do that. It is so difficult to, to paint it in a light that is not damning, to remember the gospel that Jesus forgives all. And then I left the people with a question about what is for those who no theological writings, a controversial topic in Christian circles, which is the third use of the law. Martin Luther, uh, in the tradition that I am in, didn't dive into the third use much at all. Uh, Lutheran thinkers had begun to start to say, if it is the rules that we follow uh, that are a guard against misbehaving, but we break them, and then it is a mirror that shows us our need of Jesus Christ, Maybe we should also be striving to live by these laws. And that was expanded into an idea that the law could be used to show us how to live a life that is pleasing to God. What's controversial about that is, are we ever able to live a life that is pleasing to God? Is the mirror true if we have that ability within us? I'm not going to answer the question for you. I will leave you with it. Is the goal of all of this should be to let us trust in the promise and the covenant God makes, to have faith that God holds true to the love of God's people, the people to which we are adopted through Jesus Christ, and if we are using the law to invite people in to that community, which one seems more hopeful to you?
which one achieves that purpose of trusting in God? Do you believe that seeing it as striving to live a holy and righteous life somehow shows us God's goodness and love for us? And if so, unpack it. Tell me what about it is good news to you? What about it shows you that God loves even those who fall short? And if you look at it and you say, this guard that I am supposed to be uh, living up to is an impossible goal. If all it does is make you despair, that you will never be good enough, know that you and many great followers of Christ are in the same basket and trust that that mirror held up to you is not to show you that you are a wicked and damned person. We should never use the law to, to castigate others. That mirror is simply to show you how great God's love is for you. In this Lent, may we freely stare into that mirror. May we ask ourselves what we do with this law. How do we as followers of the ones who forgive us place it into application? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you gave your people a law, the people to which we are adopted. We ask that you guide us in spirit that we trust, that you keep your covenants, trusting that your kingdom comes with or without us, with the boldness to ask that it come for us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.